This is Channel 253. In this episode of What Say You? I know white people better than they know themselves. Some white people. Some. I won't say all. And I just learned the Lord kind of guided me through that tunnel of uh, how to get accomplishments, how to get something done. And you had to do it their way. You, you know, you didn't have any people around with any power to support you in how you would have done it. So you learn to navigate their route. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. What say you? Real sisters. Real talk. What say you? Down-to-earth conversations between sisters about life, work, family, and the pursuit of an anti-racist community. Hi, I'm Audrey. And I'm Melanie. What What say say you? Well, hello, sister. I did it a little, I did it a little long. Sister. Hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) Okay. Can I try that again? Hello, sister. How are you? I'm good. Why are you so happy? <laughs> and why are you so trifling? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Hey, this is the, I am living in the moment of the reality of being in this house all day, every day, working. I take maybe 15 steps from my office to my living room, another 15 steps to the kitchen. Every time I come out the kitchen, I see my office and girl, I'm just tired. Tired of seeing yourself? (laughs) I am. You know, have you ever gotten on your own last nerve? I understand. Yeah. I am on my last nerve. When this morning, when I was brushing my teeth and I looked in the mirror, and I'm like, damn, you still here? <laughs> <laughs> I understand, girl. When you going home? Yeah. And then I realized it was me. Yeah. And I am home. And it's just, it's just me. Well, I wish I could I wish I could be in person to give you a hug because I understand the situation. I'm I, I guess I would say I'm kind of the same way, but today was a good day, you know, for me. I had some wonderful things happen. So my energy is high. And so I'm I'm excited, but I understand what you're saying. And let's get excited about our show though. Because yeah, now that is something to get excited about. I am, you know, I don't think that I, every day I ask um, to bring joy to others and 
to have some joy brought to me. And I don't know that specifically I've had joy today. So this is this is our show right now is going to be my most joyful moment. And you know why. That's right, listeners. So let us just get right to it. Our episode today is called Mommy Knows Best. Mommy Knows Best. and Yes, she does. And many of you all ask us all the time, how y'all get like that? How you get so deep? Why do you think like that? Where did that come from? Where were you born? How were you raised? I mean, you ask us a lot about our mindset. And so we're so, so happy to introduce you to our mother is with us today. And her name is Aileen Gordon Cunningham, but we call yes. her Mommy. Hey, Mommy. Hello, sweetheart. How are you hey. guys doing? We're doing pretty good. Mommy, I want to jump right into this. Um, I have a very pressing question that I'd like to ask you. And sound like it's about to be messy. I <laughs> I know that you are a woman of integrity and you pass that one to us. So my expectation is that your answer will be nothing less than the truth. So here, here's the question. The question is, mommy, which one of us do you like best? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Well, that's a very, very interesting question. I love you equally, and I'll tell you why. You are two very distinct souls. You always were. Melanie is Melanie, and Audrey is Audrey. And I praise God every day that he gave me two such unique daughters. I love you both in your own ways. Uh-huh. See, Audrey was trying okay. to be messy, Mommy, and I <laughs> love that you taught me diplomacy. That's what I learned from you, diplomacy. Well, I would like to say um, thank you, Mother, for that. <laughs> diplomatic answer <laughs> I'm going I'm going I'm going to phrase my question a different way mother okay mommy which one of us is the prettiest <laughs> well that's another distinct question you're both so beautiful I have to say, though, in looks, I do believe Melanie has more of me, and you have more of your daddy, who's a very handsome man. So you are two very, very beautiful young ladies. And there you go. So I think that you should listen. I think you should stop being like that person in the White House who's president trying to keep spread house <laughs> conspiracy, trying to get your mama into okay. the mess. You hear me? I told you earlier that 
I was getting on my own nerves. Yes. I don't know why you expected anything different now that I have the opportunity to get on somebody else's nerves. <laughs> I'm going to take full advantage of it. But no, seriously, thank you, Mommy. Thank you, Mommy. You're so and, and it is such a blessing to be able to not only have you uh, here on the podcast today, but Mel and I talk about all the time how blessed that we are and have been to be raised by a woman like you. Because, you know, all mother, everybody, just because you have a baby doesn't mean that you're a, a, you're a mother. And to us, you are the essence of what mother is. And for that, we definitely thank you. What say you, Mel? I say, Mommy, I love you dearly. And um, you have taught us so much about life that I didn't realize until I'm in this stage of life how much your wisdom sheltered us from a lot of pain. You know, we grew up in the middle of the civil rights era, era and you were adulting, you know, young adulting at that time with, with us, you know, the two kids. And so we didn't, we didn't feel any of that. We just felt like we was loved kids and our confidence was strong and we had no idea that the world was in chaos outside of, uh, outside of that. And so I just want to thank you for covering for the wisdom that, that you had. And, and we can jump in and say, how did you know? Because you've never been a mom. But thank you for that kind of love you know, because it has shaped, I know it has shaped my path. And since Audrey and I are here together, we drag each other along. Um, how did you even know to, to lead like that, Mama? Well, first of all, thank you both for your very, very kind words. And you know how easily I cry. I'm going to try not to boo-hoo, but it makes me feel so good to be this age and have my kids still talking loving notes. I love that. It keeps me going. And how did I know? A lot of it, um, I think you learn from your own upbringing. My parents are oh, kind of um, basic. They, w I can't say they would, they knew a lot of psychology or knew how to work things out uh, in a good way, but, but they did it the way they could, and they did it out of love. But in my mind, they made a lot of mistakes, too, and they were mistakes that I tried to learn from. A basic mistake wasn't, I thought, and my mom, God bless her soul, I love her to death, but she would never, ever let me explain myself. If I was in trouble or discussion was going on, and I would talk so long, and then she would say, uh, just, I don't want to hear anymore. And, oh, my gosh, that used to frustrate me to no end. So when I got kids of my own, 
One of the things I promised myself that if you were explaining something to me, I wanted to hear the whole spot you had in your head. And Melanie, that was challenging. <laughs> I got to tell you that because you had a lot of thoughts in your head. But I, I tried to learn from things like that. And most of all, I just pray to God that he would make me the best mom I could be. And he did. And mainly by giving me the two of you. I don't know what it would have been like as a mom if my kids didn't turn out okay. You two kids were very easy to raise, very easy. Uh, Mel had a lot of good thoughts, a lot of thoughts. (laughs) And Audrey always had that quiet, loving spirit. You two were very easy. I will tell anybody, it was very easy to raise two kids as you are. You know, it is very interesting how uh, two things that while you were talking, Mommy, is when you're calling us kids and (laughs) you'll always be kids to me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, and that that feels good. I I that felt good to hear you say that. You know, we are sixty one, and what are you seventy six, Mel? You're only eleven months apart, twenty one months apart. So make sure you tell it right. That's right. You better recognize. But mommy, let's let's go back to um, this is so this is so uh, heartwarming to be able to interview our mom. So let's go back to your your humble beginnings. Let's tell the listeners first of all, like how old are you now, and where um, what are your roots in the community, and how did you get to Washington? I mean, that's a that's a big arc, but like, what are your roots? Okay, I um, I was born in a little town called West Memphis, Arkansas, and I was the third of originally four kids, and my mom and dad had two later kids ten years later, uh, which made me have five siblings. There were six of us. Um, we stayed in West West Memphis until I turned the age of 14, I believe. And we moved to Indianapolis, Indiana. We moved to Indianapolis because my dad worked for a railroad. Uh, And we started all over again in Indianapolis. It was a new life for us, nothing like Arkansas. Um, I was schooled in West um, Indianapolis, and I met a young man by the name of your dad, Robert Cunningham, who was in the service. We got married, uh, moved to Germany, Texas, Florida, um, and Hawaii, and then to Washington. 
And I must say, of all the places we were ever stationed, Washington is my favorite. Uh, I worked for the United States government for many years, over 35 years. And I worked for a private law firm for about, I don't know, what year did I retire? In 97 to 2013. Um, My mom and dad were very humble people, but they were loving people, very uneducated, I must say, but a lot of common sense. And everything was rooted in love. Um, I, I guess I can say we were very, quote, poor, close quote, but we didn't know it. <laughs> I can remember we were the first person in our neighborhood to get a refrigerator, the first one to get a television. The screen was about nine inches. And the neighbors used to come over to watch that small screen. So you can imagine how that was. But other than that, um, going from one life, from my early life to my late life, and having my two daughters, a granddaughter and a great-granddaughter, God has been good. I have absolutely no complaints. Well, Ma, thank you. Thank you for your history. I mean, it's like, it's important for the listeners to um, hear you give that account because from from whence you came, so have we, right? So you are our roots. And so that is so, so important. <clears throat> but now, child, can we, we just want to gossip a little bit. How, what do you think about the election? <laughs> what, what you think about what you think about what's going on in the White House? <laughs> I I have lived eighty one years and I have never ever been arrested. And I think you're trying to goad me into something that's not really, really nice. Uh my thoughts are very, very deep. Again, I praise the Lord. The nightmare, in my opinion, the nightmare is over. I think the last four years, I know for myself, the last four years have been horrible, just horrible. I don't know if I had a good day in four years, politically speaking. And I'm very much a political junkie. I try to follow the news and the politics and that kind of stuff. But this was completely new to me. And I thank the Lord it's over. Oh, it's, I won't say over. It just gives me new hope. So, Mommy, when you said you are a political junkie, I don't know if there's another word higher than that <laughs> that would <laughs> that would describe your um zeal fanatic or <laughs> fanatic I no it's gotta it's be higher negative. than fanatic higher than fana- fanatic yeah it's higher than fanatic but it's in a good, <laughs> in a good way and let me and let me tell you why 
because, and you you know this, Mel, I call mommy for the news. I don't need, I don't need, we don't need cable. I, I don't need, I don't need radio. Nope. I don't even, I don't even need friends. No. I don't need, I don't need word of mouth amongst other people <laughs> to know what is going on with politics and actually in the world in general, but politics specifically, since that's what we're talking about. I only need Aline Cunningham, mommy. <laughs> yeah, because mommy knows best. I mean, for real, when you, when you like, remember, listeners, remember. I went on that mountaintop experience. I fasted. I, you know, I told you the story of not listening to anything. So when I, I unplugged totally. So when I plugged back into the world, my first phone call is mommy. You call mommy. Mommy, what's going on? What's your, what's your president do today? (laughs) Mommy, what? You know what? Other people, all these people, written books about the president specifically. I mean, even his, what, his niece, so his blood people have written books about him. The people closest to him uh, have, that were close to him have written books about him. And I can, with that said, I can say with confidence that none of them are as qualified as my mother (laughs) To write a book, and she's never even met the man. Yeah. But I can you, Aline Cunningham, at eighty, at eighty-one years old, who you know may forget the movie I told told her to watch. You may forget the name of the movie I told her to watch, told her to watch like fifteen times. What was the name of that movie? What was the name of that movie? But I guarantee you. If it has something to do with Trump, I mean, mommy can go. Mommy can go back to inauguration day. She can go back to when he was running. Oh my God! So wait, 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 mommy. I know you laughing. We gonna give you a word, but we gotta keep co-signing. My okay, listeners. Mommy had, mommy had a stroke in what twenty. 2013. 2013. 2013. Mommy, you, you might not remember this, but I remember like it was yesterday. Mommy had a stroke. Oh, I knew she was in about. the ICU. You hear me? The ICU. <laughs> and they have this thing called um, like deliriousness or something that happens when you, you know, you just don't remember anything. And mommy was going through that. She didn't remember us. As her children at the moment, she didn't she didn't remember a lot of stuff. So as time went on and the drugs were kicking in and everything, and the, the nurse would say, Miss Cunningham, what year is it? And mommy was like in 1960-something. She was yeah. 1965. She said something crazy like that. Miss Cunningham. You know, they were asking her different questions and she was not getting the answer right. Then they go, Miss Cunningham, who is the president of the United States? Uh, mommy said, Barack Obama. <laughs> 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 we were like, yes. at that point, we were like, 
we had been so sad. But then we were like, oh, she good. She all right. She all right. I, oh my God, I forgot all about that. We were, I, I mean, we were, we were scared. We were scared. It's like, oh my God. Is she ever going to come back? Oh my God, look at our mom. And then when they asked her that, she said, I mean, with perfect confidence, Barack Obama. He was like, oh, she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. Mommy, you remember that? Uh, I. I do remember they're asking me questions about Barack Obama, but you're absolutely right. I don't remember any of the others. <laughs> <That's>, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, how, does, how does it feel um, hearing us recall all of this, Mommy? What you thinking about right now? Well, uh, the, uh, going back to the election period, I just want you guys to understand elections go in cycles. And you have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've never had anything so bad and so ugly as we've had the last four years, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can't let that uh, bother your thoughts about politics. Let it make you stronger. You know, in other words, you don't ever want to let a person, well, I call him a person because he did look like a human being. You won't ever let something like that occupy the White House again. Don't ever be so bitter that it just takes your personality, who you are. Because he was like a person from another world, as far as I'm concerned. And that, in I believe, in my opinion, is going to really, really uh, put a lot of young Americans in the bad political mind. They're going to believe that politics are like that, and it's not. Politics is not good, but it's never, ever, in my 81 years, I've never, ever seen anything so ugly. Well, and you know, and that's truth. That is straight truth. And they're, with that person being in the White House these past four years, there have been some other ugliness that has always been underground but has just resurfaced and and to to a degree that we've never seen and of course uh never seen before and of course what i'm talking about is racism racism you know the the killings of people of color specifically black men and black women i mean over your lifetime I know that you have seen this ugly, uh, I'm going to call it a just stain of racism over the course of your life. Talk to us about when you were growing up, because you were born in 1939. Uh -huh. And so when you, in your school, your younger school years, elementary school, junior high, high school, young adulthood. What what did racism look like back then? Well, you know, I often uh, talk to my great-granddaughter, male granddaughter, about that. Um, I guess my mom and dad uh, grew up in such a manner that they didn't allow their kids to be exposed to that ugliness. Uh, 
I can truthfully say I did not experience what I knew as racism until both male and you were born. And we were traveling to um, Miami, and my husband stopped at a service station to get some gas. And I saw this sign that said, uh, uh, clean restrooms. I saw it as we were pulling up. And uh, my husband parked, and the man was putting the gas in the car. And I asked the guy, uh, you two have to go to the restroom. And I said, where's that key? Where's your restroom? And he said, I'm going to try to use his voice. We don't have one. I will never, ever forget that. And this one, you two were babies. And I said, what do you mean you don't have one? I see your sign there saying clean restrooms. We don't have one. And... I went eight. As a matter of fact, your dad, I think your dad almost pulled out with the holes in his car trying to get me out of there. Because I had never, ever, I had heard about it, but our world was so small. You know, if you didn't go to our church, you weren't a member of our family, or you want you want a member of our neighborhood? We really didn't get involved with you, so we were very very sheltered. The things that went on in the uh, society about racism when I was younger, I didn't pay too much attention to it, and my folks didn't talk too much about it. So I missed out on all of that. And it was only after you two were born in Leesburg, Florida, that I can say I witnessed and was exposed to genuine racism. Well, and, you know, I think that that is I think that that is very um, interesting. Number one, that even back in those times, there was still ways to be sheltered from it as, yes. as uh, anyone, especially as black people. And then number two, I just wanna put this into context. Now, daddy is from the South, okay? So he was very aware of what racism was. So I'm sure that um, your surprise at that gas station was not a surprise to him. And the reason he was trying to get out of there so fast is he he had, he had probably seen in Charlotte, North Carolina, Lancaster, South Carolina. Yeah. And so he wanted to get us out of there, right? Well, he said to me as he sped away and got us out of there, he was yelling and Ellie, you don't know. You could have gotten it was dark. And at Leesburg, you know, I don't know how big that place is, really. But he said I could have gotten us killed. You don't do it like that. You don't have, he was angry about the whole situation. And I couldn't figure out why he was angry at me and not the idiot who quote had no restroom, close quote. 
but I later yeah. learned, of course, and I think that's kind of what uh, got my fanaticism going. You know, just I just became a fanatic. I couldn't learn enough. I couldn't do everything I dealt with. I wanted to make sure it was handled to the finish. Um, it really kind of changed my life. We were the beneficiary of that moment and your learning and your life. Cause you know, you have your, um, I'm gonna call it a ZHD in racism and white people and how they operate and what that looks like. And that is what, that is the legacy that you passed on to us. And we talk about that often. What say you Mel? I say when we come back from break listeners, you're gonna talk to the expert herself that has passed on her legacy to these daughters, how we became WPEs, white people experts, because mommy has shared her wisdom with us over time and helped us to navigate this whole freaking system of racism. We learned it from our mother. Mommy knows best. We'll be back. Mommy knows best. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. Words mean things. That's what Pacific Lutheran University challenges me and you to think about in our everyday speech. When I speak to you or a guest over the podcast, the words I choose have impact, either positive or negative. Words have history, and when we choose to use them, we have to own their meaning and their effect on the people listening. My language, my choice. PLU is asking us to go deep on words like anti-racist or decolonize and to think about what those words truly mean. Then, once you understand them, let's talk about how you can put words into action. What can you do to live up to the word anti-racist? How can you decolonize your entertainment or even how you introduce yourself? These are big questions. To get ideas on how to answer them, and to find questions about other important words, visit plu.edu slash words mean things to learn more. My sincere thanks to Pacific Lutheran University for sponsoring Channel 253 and for doing exactly what universities should be doing right now with this campaign. Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to our episode, Mommy News Guest, and we have our mother, Aline, Gordon Cunningham with us today, which is so, so exciting. And right before break, we got to talking about how racism entered her life. And now we want her to share, how did you become so, how did you become so savvy, mommy, in navigating white spaces? Because back then you were the first, like you were a black woman in the U.S. Attorney's Office and, you know, doing, navigating those workspaces. Tell me, tell us how you uh, learned that. Well, um, again, I have to give God the praise. Um, when I grew up, after I became an adult, actually, after I got married, the profession I profession I had was mostly all. I was always mostly the only black person there. Um, the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, I worked for the Coast Guard. I basically worked for all branches of service, 
the Coast Guard, the Army, Navy, Air Force, and the Marines. And in each of those jobs, I was the only black in the house. And I tell you, it was a challenge. But you learn, you you know, I I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm 81 years old and I can say anything I want. Um, I know white people better than they know themselves. Some white people. Some. I won't say all. And I just learned the Lord kind of guided me through that tunnel of uh, how to get accomplishments, how to get something done. And you had to do it their way. You, you know, you didn't have any people around with any power to support you in how you would have done it. So you learned to navigate their route, understanding them. And yeah, I think you guys can remember very vividly when you were going to school and you'd come back and talk about somebody using the N-word. And, you know, a lot of people get angry. Get Most people get angry about that. And you want to get, adults want to get violent. No, no, no. You, They call you an N, you get violent, you go to jail. And they still going about their business calling people in. So it was just a natural thing to, a natural path to navigate. The good Lord worked me through it, and I passed it on to you. Thank God, with mail in particular. <laughs> well, I'm going to get messy about that. I'm going to get messy about that in just a minute. But while I remember... Mommy, I would love for you to tell the story about when you were playing bridge with the officers club women. You know the eeny, meeny, miny, miny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you tell can that I story? A, can I use that word? You 81, you can use whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I just said that, did that. But according to Audrey, I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were, um, I, I am a very avid uh, bridge player. I don't play anymore because I really don't have the energy in the crowd to play with. But I love bridge because I love golf even more. But anyway, we were in Hawaii and we were at um, a bridge tournament. And it was really, really big. It was a big tournament. Took up the whole top floor of the officers club over there. And again, I was the only black in vision that I saw. I'm sure there were some others there, but I was the only one I saw. And we were all sitting at these tables and chatting and whatever. And we started playing and just getting along beautifully. And it's anybody who plays bridge know in a tournament, you move. When you win, you move to another table and you move until you uh, meander through the room. And I, I was playing with this. I, can't, I had the same partner. And we sat down with these other two ladies, two, two white ladies, of course. And she came to a point where she had to make a choice between two cards she had in her hand. 
And she had been very friendly. And she said, oh, I just don't know what to play. Oh, any, meeny, mighty, mo, catch a nigga butt. And that whole floor went silent. Mm. And she started out immediately apologizing. Oh, I, I'm just so sorry. I, you know. And I very calmly said to her, it's still your play. And nobody knew what to say. That's what was so funny about it. Nobody, not even my partner, knew what to say. And she was over there instead of playing, apologizing. Oh, no, I'll, I'll never forget that. And that was one of those moments in life. Well, and I love that real life story. And I ask you to tell it because that it that paints the picture of how you taught us mm-hmm. how to deal with situations like that. It's still your play. Yeah. Yeah. Can, I, can, I, can I tell you another one now that we're talking? <laughs> there was a, that was another one. And I I think I told you guys about this one. When I was working for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of Florida, which was in Miami, and again, I, I mean, they had a, a the third floor, I believe. It was huge. And the office was broken up in sections. I worked in the criminal section. And you work very closely with the FBI, the Secret Service, all the other agencies. So I was secretary to the criminal law division, the the commander of the criminal law division. And one of, one of my jobs was to work with the FBI or work with anybody, depending on what kind of case it was, to uh, do subpoenas. And we had had this case pending, and the guy, the agent was going to bring over the subpoena, bring over the information so I could type the subpoenas. And he kept going and going and never did. So finally, uh, my boss said, uh, we got to get those subpoenas out. So I called uh, the agent in charge of, of that information. And um, he said, uh, well, I promise you I'll send it over tonight. And I said, why don't you bring it? I said, "Um, we're, no, I'm sorry. He said, I'll send it over tonight. He said, you know how these niggas are. You can never get them on to do something on time. They're just a bunch of lazy, blah, 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 blah. He was going on and on about it. He says, but I'll I'll send it. You can trust me. I'll send it. I said, you know what? I think his name was Sedanio. I'm old and kind of forgot. And I said, why don't you do me a favor and bring it over? And he, okay, okay, I'll I'll bring it. Well, the way our office was set up, the secretary for the civil division sat on one side when you opened the door, and I sat on the other and I was facing the audience when you opened the door. 
He his name was Romero. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he came the next day. He opened the door and looked right in my face. He looked, and you could see the surprise on his face. He looked at me, and then he looked behind the door. Uh, I forget her name, Renee. And he said to Renee, Miss Cunningham? And she said, that's Miss Cunningham over there. Oh, oh, that was so that was so precious. He came in in apologizing. Oh, Miss Cunningham, I I said, where did you get the information? Yeah, I got it. It was really funny. And I told my boss about it, and he started telling me how he was going to tell the head of the agency about it. But I said, no, 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 just let it go. I mean, just don't don't do that. Well, when I left there, Mr. Romero gave me a going-away gift. It was not customary for other agents agencies to give you gifts you know when you when you would leave your own agency would have a party and whatever but when I left Mr. Romero came gave me a gift because you could look at it like he was so glad to see me go (laughs) (laughs) you probably taught him the best lesson of his career he probably was upward mobile after that but mommy, yeah. I just want to, okay, listening to you explain those scenarios, I just want to say what I took away from that growing up was in response to the negativity that we received in the workplace as working, working Black women, of course, we faced all of that, but because we had your wisdom you know, we we were able yes. to respond in ways that just sh- and still now that just shake people up because <laughs> they say, when they say crazy stuff and we just give them the mommy stare. Yes. Or we we do our own version of it's still your play. <laughs> yes. We refuse to acknowledge, and we always. Or retain our power in the conversation. So those are the things where you say you had to go through that in order that the next generation, you know, we was watching, we was learning, and then we're the two versions of that, and it's just well, amazing. I have my story, and I believe I've told you guys this before. Um, when I that is based directly on mommy sharing that wisdom with us, and that's when I worked for uh, Be in America when I worked for the railroad. Yep. And we, as as part of my job, I worked with trucking companies all over the United States to dis- dispatch freight that um, from different railroads throughout the United States. Dispatch. I'd call the trucking company. Hey, this shipment is coming in, go pick it up at the Chicago hub in Cicero and take it to, you know, the Sony warehouse, if you will. So that was my job at the time. So we had 
had our regular truckers and we had list of truckers, but ones that the trucking companies that were most reliable or your favorites, you got to give them the business. So there was a one, one trucking company and I won't name it, but I loved them. They were always on time. They would always get you out of a bind. Like if a, the train was late and but the, uh, the container had to be at, at the destination at a certain time, they would just move miracles to make it happen over the years. And specifically, I was friends with the owner, the owner of the company. Over the years, I mean, we were best buddies. I gave him a lot of business. He was fun and funny, and we just had a great relationship. And it must have been like the fifth or sixth year in, I had another, oh my gosh, I need a favor. His name was Dennis. Dennis, I need a favor. Oh my God, got to get this down to Panasonic. And the, and the train is running late. Do you have anybody that can do it that's close by? Da, da, da. And he's like, okay, Audrey, let me check. Because you know I'll do anything for you, babe, anything. And, and he meant that because it had happened so many times. So he goes, hold on, let me, let me check in with some of the drivers and see where they are. So then he comes back and he says to me, oh, he goes, you know what? He goes, I can get it there, but it's going to be a little late. He goes, I can guarantee getting it there, but it's going to be about 30 minutes late. And I I, I don't want to promise you that something's not going to happen. He said, now, I do have a driver that's closer, but I don't want to dispatch him because I can't guarantee going to get there on time. My other driver's going to have to drive in, but I know he does, uh, he'll get it there on time. And I said, well, what, what's wrong? What about the driver that's closer? He goes, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that to you. Cause you know, that nigger is, I, I can't count. Ooh. Him. Ooh. You have not told me that story. I never uh, told you that. I don't Did remember I hearing, I think I'm hearing this for the first time. Yeah. yeah. That, I can't count on that nigger to get it there on time. Now, this was this was five to six years into our relationship. Wow. And so the mommy wisdom, the mommy wisdom kicked in and I went silent. Absolutely silent. <laughs> and then he says, You still there, Audrey? And I said, Yep. And he said, what's wrong? I said, I'm a nigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Audrey, you have never told me that. Girl, you go ahead. And what did he say, girl? Keep telling the story. Oh, and then I went silent again. I just said, I'm a nigger. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I went silent. And then he was silent. And I didn't care if I had to stay on that phone for the rest of my damn life. I was not going to speak anymore. <laughs> so he said something. And there was, I mean, it was like, you know, quite a bit of time of uncomfortable silence. And then he says, I'm sorry. And I said, I know. I know. Uh-huh. I said, well, um, I said, well, go ahead and dispatch the nigger. <laughs> I'll, take 
I'll take I'll take my chances on the nigger. Go oh, please. Go ahead. And if it doesn't work out, it's on if it doesn't work out, it's on me. Okay. I said, now give me give me the confirmation number. And you know, he did, and he gave me the confirmation number. And I said, okay, thank you. Take care. Yes. And guess what? Never. Now this might this might not be what mommy would do. What would mommy do? But I never used him again. I was getting ready to say. Oh, yes. oh. That mommy would have done that. Yes, yes. Now, now, mommy, I gotta. I just have to let you know, Audrey. That was powerful. That was very yes. powerful. The thought that came to my mind when I was hearing you think, hearing you talk, is that um, it, it, I think in one of our earlier episodes of Let's Say You. We talked about accomplice and allies and how people yes. show up in the advocacy roles. Now, mommy has, it, mommy wrote the chapter on accomplice before anybody did the research on accomplice. Because mommy, you remember, you, you, tell, you told us emphatically when we have to problem solve that we keep white folks on white folks. Exactly. And that that piece of wisdom has strategically served me well. And that is now it's it's a it's a strategy that people teach. They don't say it like that. They call it yeah. accomplice, right? They this is your accomplice. If you need to push through the ceiling, you gotta get somebody that you can send in, you know. So remember, like Christy is my accomplice. Girl, go hit it. Yeah. You know, go deal with that. But mommy, you was yeah. teaching that. You was teaching us that when we back in the when we was becoming professionals, you know, and yes. finding our voice and our narrative. You were um, teaching us strategy on how to navigate the white world, and it was just amazing to to be able to give that back to you. That has served me very well as a professional. Well, you know, it's one thing I I remembered all my life and again again I have to say giving God the glory that was one of the things I learned when I was learning uh, about white people from white people and one of the things they taught me well generally a leopard does not change its stripes and they they are white people. They're really good friends. Uh, you know, they make a very, very good outward appearance. But when you get down into it, you find that white people will be white people. You can never, ever forget that. I don't care how much uh, you feel on the surface that... Oh no, and I think Mel, you was a little girl. You were that she's nice, mommy. She would do this or that. You know, <laughs> yeah, that that was the main. That's my friend. No, <laughs> you're not her friend. <laughs> so, again, that's part of the teaching the Lord guided me toward as a mother. But we, but you also taught us. You also taught us that just because they black don't make it all right either. Okay, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I have I 
tried to impart to both of you that all white people are not bad and all black people are not good. Because in my working career, the one of the deepest hurts I ever had was from a black woman and that I thought I could trust. And it turned out not only did she hurt me, she hurt me deeply, and I will never forget it. Mm-hmm. And she was darker than I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> but, uh, but what I'm gonna uh, what I'm gonna say though, mommy, is that you have been such a um, I mean such an inspiration, and it's so important for our listeners. You know, listeners, we've we've strayed away from our format just a teeny bit to talk to mommy. Because you got to know where we're grounded, right? Audrey and I are grounded. Our mindset. We we hear your feedback, listeners. They you all send us the emails and you let us know that you enjoy what we're talking about and how we approach issues and stuff. But you got to know where it comes from, you know, because the fruit don't fall far from the tree. And um, and so spending time with you today, mommy, has been just the most amazing. Um, opportunity and amazing gift that we could receive. I mean, such a joy to have you on the podcast, but also to share you with the world. So um, in closing, what say you, mommy, talk to the uh, Generation Z. What is it that you want to um, share about this moment in history, this time? Well, you know, thank you, Melanie. I have really enjoyed this smell and order. This is I am a a talker by nature. I love to talk, but not so everybody can hear me. (laughs) So it's it's nice to uh, be able to do this. One thing I would like to impart, if I could, one of the things, one of my proudest things as a mom that I was able to do from the very, very beginning of your and Audrey's life was teaching you guys that you were each other's best friend. And that was the theme throughout your growing up. And I praise God that that is how it is now. I mean, you guys have your issues or whatever, but you have never shown me that you have ever put any friend ahead of your sister. Your sister is your best friend and will always be. And I just praise God that he has allowed that to continue. And thank you so much for asking me. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. So, okay, but what's your wisdom, though? You know, I need you to drop the mic or a little kernel to to Jaylene's friends. So, you know, what is it that you want to say about this time? Right, because there's special there's special things that need to happen, or special ideas, or special strategies, because we've never seen a time like this before. Well, I'll just put the uh, what I the rule I live by. Whatever is going on in your life, and you know, with teenagers, every day almost you feel like it's the worst thing could happen. So you have to remember that. Whatever is happening in your life, it doesn't last always. It's a temporary thing. It's going to pass. 
and you have to believe that the good Lord made it happen. Whatever it is, he's a good God, but he lets some things happen that you think is not good. That's okay. You got to remember that he will never, ever put anything on you or in your life that you can handle and that he won't take care of you. You always got to back up. Yes. That's beautiful. Sister, got anything to say for mommy? Mommy, I just want to say that your, your love and wisdom have been absolutely in and continues to be absolutely invaluable to me. And I know that I would not be the woman that I am if it weren't for you. For that, I am grateful and I love you with everything that I am. Mm. And Thank you, baby. And I love both of you too. Thank you very much. Mommy, before we go, can you please tell Audrey, I mean, you don't have to be diplomatic anymore. You could just tell her that I am your favorite because I was first. Okay. Audrey, I think you might not mind uh, hearing this. She, she made herself my favorite by the way she loved you. Ah. Oh. So therefore, ooh, mommy, that was good. Therefore, if there were no me, you would not be the favorite. Okay, I claim, I accept <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Listeners, thanks for joining us today. And God bless you in the new year. Drop the mic. We love you, Mama. I love you too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to What Say You. If you have conversation ideas or want to follow up on what you heard, please contact Melanie by email at melanie at missmelanie.com. M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E at M-I-S-S-M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E dot com. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. The What Say You podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, and We Art Tacoma. This is Channel 253.